This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for September 2nd, 2019. We talked a while back about legalizing marijuana, but what about the effects of the decades of prohibition? In this podcast, I'll talk to someone campaigning on that topic. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. In a few minutes, we'll have this. You know, that's seen as having a decent chance of potentially getting a vote in the House. And then, you know, and, we'd have to see what happens. What's, what's the chance of getting that through the Senate? Yeah. So right now, you know, it's uncertain. Um, but there are more. Uh, I think it's Repul- pretty certain. Uh, you think it's pretty certain that it won't pass? Yeah. Or, well, again, I think that there's, yes, it's an uphill battle. That's coming up shortly. But first, I want to thank my donors on Patreon. I appreciate you all. Patreon is basically a system that allows people to donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, and that helps me to devote more time to doing research and finding interesting guests. If you think that you could do the same as them, there's details on the website, and there'll be more about it at the end of the show. A couple of weeks back, an international group of scientists announced that they had detected a black hole swallowing a neutron star. I say a couple of weeks back, but the detection made last month was actually of something that happened 900 million years ago, long before the dinosaurs walked the Earth. It was detected last month because that's how long it took the gravitational waves to arrive at Earth from where this event happened 900 million light-years away. I'm reminded of the observation that the length of time between the first powered flight, the Wright brothers, in 1903, and the moon landing in 1969 was just 66 years. It's likely that a child who observed the first flight in Kitty Hawk would have watched the moon landing on TV. That's an incredible advance in technology in the span of just one lifetime, without even counting the invention of television. Black holes were proposed first by Einstein in 1915, barely a century ago, but he didn't say that they existed. He thought that they may not. He just calculated that the physics of relativity made them theoretically possible. Those calculations, by the way, were made with pencil and paper or sometimes chalk on a blackboard. There were no high-powered computers to work out those things at the time. In barely a century we've gone from those handwritten calculations to building equipment that can peer into space and detect objects and events from hundreds of millions of years ago at unimaginable distances. These are amazing achievements. But even more amazing is that we have developed our technology so fast. 
Life was basically unchanged for tens of thousands of human generations. And then, within the blink of an eye in historical terms, we went from scratching a living out of the earth to standing on other worlds and solving the mysteries of the universe. Also in underreported news, Zimbabwe is on the brink of famine. Zimbabwe is one of the most fertile and resource-rich countries on earth, with a very low population density. It's insane that the people should be so poor, let alone facing famine. I won't get into all the reasons for that, enough to say that it is because of the stupidity of man, not the misfortunes of nature. It's depressing to think how much we can achieve, how much we do achieve, and how much we could but don't. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think. On the line, I have Jared Moffat. Jared is the campaign coordinator for the MPP, which is the Marijuana Policy Project. Uh, Jared, what's your job? What are you trying to do? So our mission as an organization is to reform marijuana laws, and we've been the most successful organization nationally in the United States uh, to do that. So we've been behind a number of different uh, law changes, including Colorado and most recently uh Illinois and Michigan. And uh, what I do is I work as the campaign coordinator. I work in the ballot campaigns department and help local groups uh, run uh, successful ballot initiatives to overturn marijuana prohibition and, and, uh, and institute marijuana policy reform. I was talking a few months back on this podcast to uh, Justin Streakel of Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Is that a parallel organization? Is that a rival organization? Or do you have a different focus? Uh, yeah, no, we, we love the folks at Normal. And, and yeah, we definitely work uh, in parallel, um, you know, almost all the time. Uh, of course, you know, we're, we're separate entities. And, you know, as, as you might imagine, sometimes there's a little bit of competition and, and things mm-hmm. like that. But but overall, yeah, we're, we're very much on the same page and working towards the same goals. And if you were to describe what your ideal legal situation regarding marijuana in the U.S. would be, what would that be? Well, we would like to see, and, and what we are helping uh, create, is a system where marijuana is essentially regulated and taxed and legal the way that alcohol is regulated and taxed um, with some differences. And there are some important uh, distinctions that, you know, w- we would see with alcohol policy versus marijuana policy. But essentially, we want it to be uh, legal for adults uh, 21 or older to access marijuana from uh, licensed regulated facilities where the product is tested, where the folks selling it are overseen and regulated by the state as opposed to what we have under prohibition, which is, of course, uh, illicit dealers who, you know, don't care about the age of the customers. They don't care about testing the product, et cetera. And we also want to make sure that marijuana is available and and safely accessible for medical purposes as well. So we want it to be uh, sort of legal for adults 21 and older to use, and we want it to be legal for any patient uh, of any age to access it uh, under the supervision of a doctor and with the recommendation of a doctor. You mentioned that you want some differences to the way alcohol is regulated. What are they? Well, so there's a there's a sort of a unique history with the war on drugs and the way that it's affected 
particularly communities of color um, who have been uh, arrested at disproportionate rates compared to uh, to whites, even though uh, racial groups tend to use marijuana at the same rate. Um, and we don't have that same kind of racial history that goes along with alcohol. So one of the big initiatives that we are pushing is when we you know, advocate for legalizing marijuana, we also want to make sure that uh, the way it's done is equitable and fair. And what that can entail are things like expungement policy so that folks who have a prior uh, offense on their record for marijuana are able to clear that record. Um, we also want to make sure that the industry uh, is promoting and, and uh, encouraging participation uh, among folks who have been adversely affected by prohibition. So there's kind of a social justice component uh, to our mission that wouldn't necessarily be there with alcohol because of the different histories. I, I'm interested in that because that's a, a very hot issue. And maybe you can describe for me how, as you see it, marijuana laws, marijuana prohibition is in some way inequitable socially. I would have thought that it applies to everybody equally. Well, uh, it, it unfortunately, uh, it does not. And what we know from uh, data from the FBI and, and uh, the ACLU did a fantastic report a few years ago showing that throughout the United States, um, black Americans are arrested at almost five, excuse me, four times the rate uh, that white Americans are for marijuana possession. And so, you know, what we, of course, know is that, um, you know, once you have an arrest on your record for, for anything, but, you know, particularly for marijuana in this case, it, it prevents, uh, in some cases, access to housing. It can make it much more difficult to get a job. Uh, it can take away someone's ability to access student loans uh, for uh, secondary education, or, excuse me, um, college education. And so, you know, those are the ways that certain communities are disproportionately um, and adversely affected by prohibition. And how do you propose to address that historical legacy? So again, one of the big things is um, well, obviously we want to we want to legalize marijuana, so we want to you know make it so that no one's being arrested anymore. We want to have it decriminalized. So sometimes we don't go for full legalization. We we uh, pass sort of a a, a stepping stone initiative where we decriminalize, uh, say, possession uh, and consumption, and make it so that it's you know like a traffic ticket as opposed to a criminal offense. So that's one way we want to stop the arrests that are happening. And a lot of people don't, you know, I should just say this now, a lot of people don't realize that in the United States, uh, there are still about 600,000 uh, arrests for just marijuana possession every year. Um, you know, a lot of folks sort of say, oh, it's not, a, it's not an issue anymore. It doesn't happen. No one gets arrested for it. Um, well, the statistics show that it is still happening at uh, really uh, disturbing levels. So that's one way is to stop, stop what we're doing. But we also need to look back Again, what I was talking about earlier, things like expunging uh, the records for folks who have uh, prior offenses. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty easy moral argument to make that, you know, no one should be continue to be punished for something that is now legal. Wait, um, wait, 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 make... wait, 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 wait. Are you, are you sure about that? If, you know, the laws change from time to time, but there is a very strong principle in law that you can't be punished for something which is made illegal after the point at which you do that uh, particular act, it's true that even if marijuana was legalized, it would be true that the people who broke the law before that law changed, they're still criminals. There's, there's an important point there, isn't there? 
Um, I, I mean, I think, yes, in a technical sense, sure. I mean, you could say, well, at the time it was a crime and, and they committed that crime. But I just I think there's a very common sense appeal to people's sense of fairness that, hey, when we're when we're legalizing marijuana, we're also sort of acknowledging that that the policy of prohibition that we've had in place for many years uh, was the wrong policy. And uh, we need to sort of rectify the harm that was created by that policy. So you're, you're right that, you know, technically you could say, well, look, you know, it was a crime. It's not anymore, but they still committed a crime. Sure. But but again, out of a sense of fairness, um, what we're saying is um, let's make sure that people aren't continuing to be punished for something that, again, as a society, we've said should not be treated as a criminal issue. OK, the one thing that I do want to explore with you there is the idea that this is being used almost as an excuse to attack or to criminalize particularly minorities, particularly black people in the United States. Do you have anything to back that up? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's a pretty revealing quote uh, from Richard Nixon uh, back in the 70s that one of his aides uh, released, and, and I, I'm going to forget what the exact phrasing of it was, but Essentially, you know, Nixon kind of revealed that the whole agenda behind the war on drugs was to uh, keep his political opponents um, sort of out of the picture as much as possible. Particularly, he named blacks and hippies um, as as his adversaries that, you know, the drug war would target. So that's probably the best example where we have sort of a, you know, kind of a bald faced admission of what this is all about. But of, of course, we can also see it um, just in terms of the effects and the way that the rhetoric has been used, particularly you know, during the real heightening of the drug war during the 80s, um, the way that, you know, um, you know, particularly black people were portrayed on TV as, you know, the, the you know, menace in the community. And they were, you know, causing violence and selling drugs and so forth. And there's been a lot of racial, uh, sometimes openly and sometimes more subtly, racial overtones in the conversation about, you know, who in society uses drugs, who deserves to be punished. Um, and, you know, typically, uh, people of color are sort of held up as, you know, the problematic drug users, um, whereas white drug use is sort of uh, tacitly accepted. Mm -hmm. um, I'll get you the quote. It's from John Ehrlichman, who was an aide to Nixon. He said yes. that the Nixon White House had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. I'm wondering whether that really is going to be productive if what you suggest, because I was looking at recently the Ferguson, Missouri case. This is where there were mm -hmm. riots that were triggered by Mike Brown yes uh -huh. by by the death of Mike Brown and it's plain that there is a essentially that Ferguson is a township or a settlement that's on a particular stretch of road and it gets a huge proportion of its tax base from mm -hmm. stopping and fining people for traffic infringements on this uh, on this highway and that it couldn't survive financially if it didn't keep doing that. Two questions arising out of that. A, do you think that that's essentially what's happening with marijuana? And B, isn't there a danger that just some other method will be found if it's not marijuana? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, we don't make the argument that racial injustice and the problems that plague the criminal justice system are going to go away 
when we legalize marijuana. That's certainly not the case. Um, you know, there's many other areas where there's reform that's needed and, and institutional change. Um, but what we are saying is, you know, when we do legalize marijuana in states like Colorado, we see massive drops in the number of people who are arrested for marijuana, as you might expect. And that does make a difference. I mean, we're putting fewer people um, in jail. We're, we're giving fewer people arrest records. So we're taking a, a tool away uh, that has been used disproportionately, but it certainly doesn't take away all the tools. And in terms of legalizing marijuana, this is not without risks. I mean, marijuana is a not the most dangerous of drugs, but it is not safe either. And unlike alcohol, and you, you know, you say that you want to regulate it like alcohol, but the thing about be it a beer or a bottle of vodka, it has one drug in it. Marijuana typically has dozens, maybe hundreds, and they can vary from variety to variety. And in particular, marijuana is associated with triggering psychosis and triggering schizophrenia in people who perhaps have a predisposition, but it may not have been triggered if they didn't take marijuana. How do you feel about that? Do you feel some responsibility for that? Well, look, I mean, our argument, again, is we are not an organization, and this is where we do distinguish ourselves a little bit from normal. Um, you know, we're not a pro-marijuana advocacy group. What we advocate for is changing marijuana laws. But we're not here to, um, you know, increase cultural acceptance of marijuana. We're not here to promote marijuana use. Um, we're here to say that the policy that we have right now, uh, or in most places uh, throughout the country of prohibition, it doesn't stop marijuana use. It, it, it only exacerbates the public health and safety problems. So, um, you know, are there risks to marijuana use? Absolutely. We, we're not denying that there are some risks, just like alcohol. And, you know, many substances that are used in society have, have some risks. Um, what we're saying is that a better approach from a public policy perspective is to regulate and legalize. And what we are seeing is, in fact, in states that have legalized marijuana, for example, for adult use, uh, places like Washington, Colorado, we're actually seeing teen marijuana use decline. Um, there was a big study that just came out this summer from the Journal of the American Medical Association showing a 9% decrease in teen marijuana use in states that have legalized for adults. And so, you know, we agree that, mar you know, marijuana shouldn't be in the hands of young people. The problem is prohibition makes it very easy for kids to get marijuana because, again, the, the dealers don't check IDs. There's no incentive uh, to, you know, for, for any seller to avoid selling to a, 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 you know, an underage person. So that's our argument. Our argument is not marijuana is perfectly harmless and everyone should just chill out and, and use it. What we're saying is the, the policy of prohibition does enormous harm that isn't necessary and it's not even coming close to achieving its goal of eradicating marijuana use. If, you know, if anything, it's been abysmal failure uh, in that regard. And so our arguments are all about the public policy sort of ramifications of legalization versus prohibition. So one last question then for you, Jared, and I mentioned it when I was talking to uh, Justin Strickle of Normal, that you can now, with legalization in Canada, you could now go from Alaska through Canada and down through the entire west coast of the United States to Mexico and without leaving any territory where recreational use of marijuana was perfectly legal. But if you brought your marijuana with you every time you ch you crossed a state line and definitely every time you crossed an international border between Alaska and Canada and between uh, uh, the lower 48 and Canada, you'd be in serious trouble with the feds. What do you think is going to happen with the federal marijuana laws? 
Well, we certainly hope that, you know, as soon as possible, uh, you know, we, we would, we've been calling for federal uh, legalization or at least um, a version of it, which is uh, allowing states to set their own policies and basically removing marijuana from the controlled substances list where it's currently rated as a schedule one drug alongside, um, you know, things like heroin, um, which is absurd. Um, and so, you know, I think everyone, in- including many people um, who have traditionally sort of been our opponents, recognize that federal marijuana policy is um, you know, extremely behind the times and extremely uh, in need of reform. So we, you know, we have a federal team that lobbies in, in D.C. to uh, to work on, you know, building coalitions among Congress to uh, to pass laws. And right now there's a pretty promising bill that uh, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, Nadler, uh, who's a Democrat, is is pushing. And it would that bill would go through his committee. So that's, you know, that's seen as having a decent chance of potentially getting a vote in the House. And then, you know, we'd have to see what happens. What's the chance of getting that through the Senate? Yeah. So right now, you know, it's uncertain, Um, but there are more. I think it's pretty certain. Uh, You think it's pretty certain that it won't pass? Or Well, again, I think that there's, yes, it's an uphill battle, but I think that people forget a lot of times that there, we have a fair number of Republican allies on this issue, Um, you know, not on every piece. And, you know, the, the details matter in many cases, but the overall idea of allowing states to set their own policies and, and getting the federal government out of the business of, of forcing states to uh, have prohibition or, or to try to you know, influence them in that way. There are a lot of Republicans who agree that that is not a good policy. And so, you know, we have some allies uh, on both sides that support it. And again, it would be it would be pretty impressive and, and uh, you know, not necessarily probable that it would happen and pass the Senate. But there is a chance. Jared Moffat, campaign coordinator for the Marijuana Policy Project. Thank you very much for talking to me. Happy to do it. Thanks. Never miss a show. Follow at Challenging O on Twitter and like Challenging Opinions on Facebook for updates on each show's contents. Go to the website for sources and links to what we were talking about. And while we're there, please like the show on Facebook, follow at Challenging O on Twitter, and follow Jared Moffat at Jared E. Moffat. And get in touch with me if you can suggest a guest or a topic for a future show. Thanks to everyone who signed up as a patron on Patreon so far. I really appreciate you all. It means I can devote more time to research and finding interesting guests. And if you could do the same as them and donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, you will find the link on the website. You can also find out how to subscribe to the podcast for free on your computer, on your phone, or by email. It's all at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.